The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. Welcome to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. So amidst what has been a fantastically unpredictable year for all of us with uh, global pandemics and weather disasters and urban anarchy in various quarters, well, we got to thinking it might be a good time to do a show or two on what emergency managers and crisis specialists call preparedness. And certainly that could include a pretty broad range of actions and concepts, right? Yes, and recently we discussed quite a few of those preparedness actions and concepts right here on our program. They included, perhaps most importantly, being your own emergency planner and manager. In other words, as we've sometimes seen, the first responder systems and organizations we have in place as a society are sometimes pushed beyond their limits. Yeah, and they do a you know they do a great job with all the res- uh, respect to the work they do, um, but obviously, as we said, even in that previous show, we were talking about things like Hurricane Katrina and all these huge disasters, things like tornado outbreaks and hurricanes and massive power outages can affect thousands of people all at once. Yeah, and frankly, even with all the unrest we're seeing in our various cities. It may be the actual policy of engagement by civic leaders that can further cripple local and regional emergency right. resources. D- decisions made that are right. that are hindering. Right. So with coronavirus, the health system can face a huge influx of ICU cases, as we've seen, which can quickly overwhelm resources in hospitals and other places. Yeah, and it's. I guess sometimes people make the assumption that. Uh, you know, especially if you're if you're kind of one of those people who's used to being taken care of or thinking that the authorities have everything buttoned down, there's a limit to everything, right? There's limits to what you want in the store when you go shopping. There are limits sometimes to what can be managed in a crisis. There's always a limit in lifetime, and I guess that's partly the focus here that we were aiming for in last in the last program we talked about on this. Right. You know, it's not to say we have. Uh, ourselves all the ability to do what our first responders and health professionals do. That's not what we mean uh, by being your own emergency manager. But we do want to recognize that uh, you can be your own best asset in times of crisis, uh, working in assistance with first responders if possible. But if they're not available, or even if they are available, it really comes down to you. And so that's where we began our recent show. And that conversation went on to include things such as suggestions by FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, about having a safety kit with first aid, your medications, um, some personal protective equipment like masks. Which you, Otherwise, have, you probably wouldn't have thought of too much before this past year, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and flashlights and batteries and emergency radios and um, things of that sort. Yeah, we talked about having a go bag. You know, uh, something that's always ready, 
uh, that's got some cold weather and, and wet weather stuff along with it, your sundries, uh, what you might need to survive for, say, two to three days all of a sudden outside of your home. You also want to make sure that you have lined up some reliable transportation in the event of an emergency, whether that's your own maintained vehicle, all gassed up and ready to go, or a means of getting somewhere else if you need to through other people or services, you know, friends, families, or something, right. you know. Because you may not have a car and you may not drive, right? Right, right. right. You got to have cash, uh, as long as cash is still good, right? <laughs> and you got to have maybe some credit cards and an important documents. And we're going to discuss that more in a moment. And make sure you have a good communication plan and some technology. So have your phones, your cell phones, and the chargers to go with them to locate and talk to loved ones. Make sure you have those, you know, always charge. When you go to bed at night, plug them in. You never know. And some would also um, be prepared with personal protective safety devices. Maybe you want to have firearms, whether you pursue a concealed and carry license or not. Of course, know the laws where you're going concerning firearms. Secure them safely and make sure you're well trained. We could uh, we could do more on uh, things like having a generator and extra supplies of water and food and medicine. But the focus of the FEMA information and our previous conversation, our previous program, took preparedness to another level that most of us than most of us have now. So there's always a big range of things you could do, right? But ask yourself the key question, what if your main sources of safety and sustenance are threatened or destroyed? And what to do if, in a disaster, societal order does break down and you are on your own? Right. Uh, I mean, you know, something good, to think about. Good to know where your family is, who your friends are, and so forth. We also talked in that uh, program within the context of the COVID crisis about being prepared for a hospitalization. What do you take along in a hospital bag? Remember, there are severe restrictions for family. They can't come in, so you got to have a lot with you. And also, if you travel suddenly, maybe to help a family member in an emergency, you have to have, again, a kind of a go bag and some reliable means of transportation at all times. And that was all part of our recent program. Now, beyond these material and logistics-related concerns in an emergency, there is more to being prepared at least in there is a season frame of mind. And yes. we mentioned it briefly in our recap. I believe I heard the word documents. You did, as in the essential documents, items that we've discussed before and several times on this program, and which we feel everyone should have ready and up to date at all times. You also wanna know where they are in case you've hidden them in that very special place. So we've broken them into several main categories, these documents. And each one or more documents you should have completed and reviewed, preferably by a legal profession. Remember, we're not lawyers here on There's a Season. We're not lawyers. We're instigators. Well, Bob is. Well, that might not be a good thing in light of what's unfolding around the country. I'm not an, I'm not an anarchist, but I, <laughs> but I, I, I think we, we serve here as catalysts, maybe. Um, in another time, we might say provocateurs, but that also sounds like it's rife with trouble. Uh, the, the fact is we're trying to get you off the schneid here. You know these documents uh, probably need to be done, and they need to be secured probably in a fire safe, and um, that's that. And so we're going to talk more about that today, the essential documents that need to be part of your preparedness plan, and they include the following topics. Instructions, these would be of the general kind, documents concerning property, documents concerning power, isn't that the one that 
I really like no. Okay. So yeah, that would be power. That would be yours. Uh, advanced instructions. So you got your regular instructions, then you got your advanced instructions. Women, women usually do the advanced instructions. The, the, yes, the men right. usually can't keep track we, of all of them. We just can't. We're we, very detailed and we oriented. wing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also uh, privacy and end of life decisions. Those are the main documents. In general instructions, property, power, advanced instructions, privacy, end of life decisions. The first of these is really a non-legal document, but we have sometimes thought it could be the most practical, most helpful, and often overlooked document that you can have. And what is that? Well, it's a letter of instruction, and it's not legally binding, but it's a simplified checklist for your instructions and wishes. So what it includes basically are many things, but some of which would include your general listing of all your assets, liquid or illiquid. The location of all tangible assets not readily accessible. Names, passwords, PIN numbers, and account numbers for bank accounts, brokerage, retirement, and investment accounts. And importantly, the names and contact information. You need to know where, right, and who of any bankers, brokers, attorneys, or other professionals who handle such assets. Now you wanna make sure also that you have the location of all titles and or deeds for real estate property. I'm trying to scribble this down over here, go ahead. Rental property, oil, gas leases, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what we're getting at here is uh, anything you might not capture in a legal document, and we're gonna talk about legal documents here in a moment, all of those things. I mean, Gloria made a joke here early on about, you know, do you know where any of these essential documents are? Well, one of the key things in a, in a letter of instruction is telling people, where can you find stuff? Where are the keys to the, the house, you know, at the lake, if you have a house at the lake? Where are the keys to the shed? Where, where are the passwords to your, uh, your bank accounts? Um, where are the bank accounts, right? You know, we have found that. In, 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 I remember I had a, uh, a relative who had, I think, eight or nine different little savings accounts all over town. After he passed away, it took a while to even know that those things were in existence. The letter of instruction explains all of that. And you can also put in there things related to your funeral. Uh, basically, anything that doesn't necessarily require a legal decision, but requires some level of detail you want to share with people. Right. You, and you want to make sure if you have a pet, there's instructions in there for your pet or your wishes. That's you know important to so many people so many people. Yeah. And now I just made the reference here. I said, anything you want people to know. And that's one of the key issues. I think there's a, a, a dialogue that needs to occur before a letter of instructions even done so that people can part with some of that authority, that they can write it down on a piece of paper and say, yes, I, I want someone to know these things. That's a key familial thing, really, when you come down to it. Uh, can I share this information? Yeah. And it's really helpful too, because in a time of grief, or um, you know, scatteredness when you're trying to get everything done after someone passes. It's nice if you kind of know this stuff ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. So. so the letter of instructions, the first one, what we call the general instructions. Now let's talk a bit here uh, before we go to our break uh, about property. Uh, that's the thing that you always see on, on television and movies. People always talk about the last will and testament, but that really is the next main document that most people need to have done. And, and we don't have enough time in this program to talk about trusts. Trusts have certain additional powers and are kind of like, a, in many ways, a will on steroids. They, they include a lot of other different things and details. And very often when, when people consider a trust, 
they are considering a certain level of estate size, right? A certain number of assets uh, that they, they're talking about managing. But let's just talk about the general concept of property. What does a living will, or not a living will, we'll get to that in a minute. What does a will do? So a last will and testament is a legal document that communicates a person's final wishes pertaining to possessions and dependents. A person's last will and testament outlines what to do with such possessions, whether he or she is leaving them to another person or group or donating them potentially to charity, and what happens to other things for which he is responsible, such as custody of dependents and accounts and interest management. And very often you're going to have, uh, if not always, an executor of a will, and that can be different people. Uh, many times it can be the most trusted uh, adult child. It can be a sibling. It can end up being an attorney who helped you draft uh, the docs in the, in the first place. And that person is the one who sees to it that your wishes are uh, executed according to the things stipulated in the will. So that's the property question. And that's now we've talked two essential documents here, your letter of instruction and your uh your property document, the thing about your will. Again, if you want to look into trusts, we can give you some information to that uh, regarding that. And you can just write us at Bob and Gloria at there is a season show.com. We have a lot more ahead today, many more things that you need to do to be prepared with your essential documents. And all that is ahead. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 957 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. Hi, Gloria. (laughs) Hi, Bob. We're talking today about being prepared. (laughs) Our previous program got into a lot of physical preparedness, Uh, and today we're talking about another kind of preparedness, and that is to have your essential documents in order. These things go hand in hand. And we've talked uh, already here about a letter of instruction, and we were getting into the whole issue of your property. You know, what does a will do? And what are, you know, what happens if you don't have one? Well, if a person dies without a valid will, Bob, and um, he, he dies into state, which means the state becomes the executor of the state. In settling this state, the state will decide how to distribute that person's property and who receives payment first without any consideration for a family's circumstances. So um, another thing is any blood relative can stake a claim to someone's estate. The court can even establish guardianship arrangements based on its determination as to the best interest of the children. Now, if a court is to determine a will is improperly drafted, it deems it invalid settlement of the state then would be subject to the state's law. So um, it's really the foundation, a last will and testament of any estate plan. And it is the key instrument to ensure that the estate is settled in the manner desired. So it's really important and even to have you, a will. Even if you design a trust, which was which said, again, is a little beyond uh, what we're able to cover here today in, in the program, uh, a trust very often is subject and it points back to the will in terms of a, the, the distribution of property. The trust may be set up um, for the management of property, especially when somebody um, you know, is in a position of, of, of not being able to manage their property or their assets any longer, but they, they work hand in hand. It's not like one does one thing and one does another thing. The trust has more enumerated powers and authority in it, but 
everything ties back to this will in terms of how things are to be distributed after someone passes on. Right. And as we will mention here soon, other documents will also allow for people to have power to take care of somebody's finances if they're not able. You right. don't have to have mm -hmm. a trust. Right. You don't have to have a trust. Not no. at all. Not no. at all. So uh, which, which kind of shifts us to the next topic, which is power, right? We've talked about property. What is the power we're talking about? Well, it's the power of attorney. And uh, it's become a critical document for a lot of people, especially uh, in one particular area. They really fall into a couple of, of different categories. You can get, you got your regular power of attorney. You know, your regular, it's kind of like your unleaded, I guess. And then you got your <laughs> durable power of attorney, which, uh, and, and just to give you a little example, a regular power of attorney may be time-based. You might have someone assigned to manage the closing and to sign for you in, in say, the buying of a property or the selling of a property. And that power of attorney expires when that action is done. Or you might have it time-based through the end of the year, right? But a durable power of attorney goes on. It does. Um, it remains in control of certain legal property or financial matters specifically spelled out in the agreement even after the principal becomes mentally incapacitated and that would be the person who drafted the power of attorney so um the other thing to keep in mind here real quick bob is that um it, it's not always a time thing with attorney sometimes it's just specific too like maybe somebody's just going to be managing the principal's retirement accounts it just Specific kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, right? just, not just right. time, but also limited things. And we'll get more into the whole power of attorney thing here uh, in a moment. We're also going to talk about how, as Gloria alluded to it, how they separate into different functions. Some can be wrapped around financial matters and some can be wrapped around healthcare matters. Both very important functions uh, that can be assigned to someone, should be assigned to someone in your life. We've got more ahead right after the news. Stay with us. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290-957 WHIO. Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Today we're talking again about preparedness. We've done a previous show that talked about physical preparedness, you know, how to, how to survive outside of your system of uh, shelter and sustenance if you had to be away for two or three days. And today we're getting into something else, which is what are your important documents? What are truly essential things to know about you? And they fall into a number of different categories. We started with the letter of instruction, and we've talked about your property with a will. And let's go back and talk a little bit more about power of attorney here uh, and talk about the different types and, and how they operate. Well, um, a power of attorney, to just break it down, is a legal document giving one person, which is called the agent or attorney, in fact, the power to act for another person 
and that person would be called the principal. The agent can have broad legal authority or limited authority to make legal decisions about the principal's property and finance. The power of attorney is frequently used in the event of a principal's illness or disability or when the principal can't be present, maybe to sign you know, necessary legal documents for financial transactions. Keep in mind that a person that is appointed as a power of attorney is not necessarily an attorney, right? The person could just be, like you said earlier, Bob, a trusted family member, friend, or acquaintance. So this uh, this agent has a lot of authority, and and I can remember in our own family going through this this issue. It takes a lot of people uh, some time to get to this point. Some families may do it easier than others. But a power of attorney could be an adult child, right? Mm-hmm. It can be your spouse, firstly. Uh, it can be in uh, it could be a friend. It could be um, uh, a sibling, right? And very often, when you set a power of attorney, there's also a alternate uh, attorney if for any reason that person runs into issues. Uh, so, some of the powers here you mentioned, you know, writing checks, uh, being a legal representative for you in in situations with banks or in real estate or right right filing taxes even um and something else to uh think about or to consider is sometimes people have different power of attorneys for different types of things especially if you know there's a lot of family interest in you know a certain loved one they split it up somebody does what we're going to talk about in a minute the medical durable power of attorney and somebody does the regular power of attorney. But even even general. things like just take the the regular the financial part of this, right? You might have somebody who oversees the general financial uh, world for somebody, but let's just say that um I'll give me an example here. Let's say mom or dad live in a town way over here and they have a, a, a son or a daughter close by who may not be the overall financial power of attorney, but they need limited power of attorney to manage the sale of a house. Right. Or something like that. Right. So power of attorney can be written up very specifically. The reason we have durable powers of attorney is that people, in fact, do get to the point of having, uh, they can be incapacitated. And this can happen to any of us, right? Uh, right. We were, we were talking I mean, about, well, go ahead. Yeah, you could just be um, unconscious for a very brief period of time and need somebody to make a decision or give authorization even for surgery. Right. So so it could be an accident. It, yeah. It could be that you've gone in for something elective and maybe there was a complication. Right. You Maybe you went into a coma or something. You have to make decisions, Who is choices. going to speak for you legally, right? Right. And one of the things that we'll talk about here uh, is, is what do you do with it? Because a lot of people forget this. Children. When children become of age, right, 18, 19, 20 years old, a lot of times people don't remember that they need to do some kind of a power of attorney to be able to speak for that child. You may think you'll be driving the thing or driving the train uh, in a hospital setting, but you will not. And the, the documents that cover privacy, HIPAA and FERPA, and we can talk about those in just a moment, um, they often guide privacy. And there's sometimes this tension where a lot of young people might say, well, I don't want to know, you know, I don't want my parents knowing everything I'm doing. But then suddenly maybe there is an accident. Maybe the kid's away at ca- on campus someplace and has a terrible accident. Who's going to have the authority to go in and help manage whatever happens with that adult child right and and you can have a durable power attorney for health care which you know is legally bound to oversee all your medical care decisions on behalf of the person that you're caring for and you can also have durable power attorney for the finances so you can have the limited or the durable 
but the durable power of attorney is most often used for healthcare when somebody becomes, if and when somebody becomes incapable. Um, there's this uh, document, which is the springing power of attorney, which will state the conditions for which a durable POA may become active. And that's set up in a separate document. And then um, that would define the kind of event or level of incapacitation that should ensue before the durable power of attorney would actually go into effect. And it can remain dormant, right, Bob, until this negative health occurrence might activate it. Right. And then and here's another thing, another important doc, uh, not document, dynamic of this to keep in mind. And I've seen this happen too. When someone has the power of attorney, there is a sometimes a surrendering I've seen on the person who is the agent, who has assigned this over. Powers of attorney are very, very specifically written. It does not give someone universal power over the agent. It does not suddenly say, all right, I'm acquiescing in all matters because you're the power of attorney. I will have no say. You know, it's not that kind of a thing. It authorizes someone to speak for you, but it doesn't take away all of your volition and choice. So it, it's, it's one of those things that operates in effect for you, but it doesn't mean that that person has power that you don't have anymore. Right. And, and that's, that's something to keep in mind. You're not surrendering everything. You still have some influence. Right, and until the durable power of attorney would have to be, you know, um, enacted when something would can incapacitate you, right. either mentally or physically. Now we got into some discussion here, and, and this is a little beyond uh, again the scope of this particular program, but it'll dovetail a little bit with our next item on the list, and that is, you know, how does any of this play in in the age of COVID? And we don't have uh, the the entire, you know, spectrum of responses on this kind of a thing. But because uh, the COVID hospitalizations have created this kind of physical separation of family members, you can't go in, right? Right. There's a lot of responsibility that is put upon the medical professions, the doctors. And the doctors are going to do whatever they have to. They're going to follow the protocols to take care of somebody in a COVID situation, in any kind of situation, right? That's their first oath. But you still want to have the power of attorney for when there is a question, when the medical professional has to say, uh, gee, I'd, 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 I would love to be able to you know, know the person's wishes. Have those been enunciated? Does anybody have a power of attorney that I can talk with about this? And it's not just any old family member who shows up or a friend who has an interest in the person in the hospital. It's got to be the person who is designated to speak on those matters. Right. All right, so we'll shift gears now. We've covered three, uh, what is that, three sets of things here. We've talked about general instructions. We've talked about your property, where we've talked about your powers of attorney, and now here's another specific thing related to your your your, uh, your health and your in, in general, but it's it's something really about the end of life, and it's called the advanced directive or living will. Yes, advanced directive, sometimes called the living will, is the document that expresses a person's wishes about critical care when that person is unable to make decisions for himself. Now, with an advanced directive, individuals have the power to make future decisions about their own critical care without any outside influence. This is where that would nix the durable power of attorney. A person who wishes or does not wish to be placed upon life support can create an advanced directive that will be followed by hospital staff should he become incapacitated. So this would be in a situation where you are incapacitated 
and life support would be needed. And if you have said, no, I would not like that. The advance directive is a document that then would be followed by medical staff. I'll give you a key example of the kinds of things that are in here. Uh, when somebody goes in, and there, there are many reasons where you may become um, temporarily incapacitated, uh, and maybe you're in significant decline, but you're having some kind of a, a breathing assistance going on, right? But let's say at some point you eventually flatline, you know, in terms of your brain activity. That's a common one. Well, you essentially have turned into some, you're in a vegetative state. And so the question is, do you continue on? Do you continue to sustain that situation or not? And some people will say, if I'm incapacitated and I have some brain activity, well, I want nourishment. Do not deny me, you know, uh, water and key liquids and, and food. Other people may say, no, I don't want any of that kind of stuff. And those are the things that you spe specify in a living will, in an advanced directive. Yeah, and, and when one of these is being considered or um, looked at in a situation, two physicians must certify, indeed, that the person is either terminally ill, seriously injured, in a coma, even in the late stages of dementia, or permanently unconscious and unable to make medical decisions before this living was enacted. So this is not something that anybody takes lightly, by no means, you know, if you sign it. Um, so And, and it can change it, over the over Right, the years, you can right? change your living will, and then the old one will be invalidated. Now, let's just talk for just a second here about, you know, when we first did this show years ago, and people said, you want to talk about what? You know, they get all weirded out about, because we were talking about these issues, like it's icky, it's uncomfortable, right? Right. But the fact is, as, you, as you're growing older and you have a, perhaps a deeper appreciation of life and the passing of life, these are key steps you need to take. These are things you need to enunciate. Right. Another important thing about this advanced directive or living will is that um, emergency medical technicians that show up maybe in an ambulance, they cannot honor your living will. They must do everything in their power to stabilize a person for transfer to a hospital. And then once a physician fully examines that person, then these advanced directives can be implemented. So just so people are aware of that, you cannot ask your 911 responders to honor something. You right. will be resuscitated. And, and again, we don't know. We can't we can't predict what every single physician is going to do, even in the case of something like right. COVID. Right. You may be seriously ill. You may have uh, had some problem where you did not get help right away. You're at your home. You're unconscious, whatever. Somebody finally takes you to the hospital. Well, they're going to go into their automatic mode. They're going to do what the protocol typically is, which is going to be in almost every case, we'll do everything we can to save this person's life. and use the. So that may include being on a ventilator. That may be, you know, include some kind of supportive breathing. Right, right. Where the living will would have to be checked after the fact. They're not always going to have that right at their fingertips. Yeah, and you want to put somebody in, in a person appointed as your medical power of attorney, you want to put somebody in charge who maybe can step aside from any emotion about maybe the relationship with the person um, and be willing to ask challenging questions of the doctors. You should never feel intimidated by any of the physicians. Um, and you need to... Um, make sure that the person's end-of-life wishes are fulfilled. We've got more for you still. We're going to talk a little bit about your privacy and something called the DNR. And we'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. 
It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking today about being prepared. Our last program was talking about physical preparedness, your house and your, you know, and, and your sustenance and security in times of disaster. Emergency kits, right, all those emergency things. Emergency kits. Today has been more about your essential documents, your paperwork. What do you need to have lined up and ready? Two other areas. What is HIPAA? So HIPAA, its acronyms stand for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. But I'm going to make this very basic for you. And it uh, was developed to regulate protecting the privacy and security of our certain health information. Uh, If we want to release any of our health information to anyone, a business, our workplace, our family, our friends, we must sign a HIPAA form, a document. And that can be um, provided by any of our healthcare providers. Actually, it will be given to us. And then you state on there, who is allowed to receive health information? And and what kind of information very often? Exactly. Test results and so forth. Right. Okay. So that's HIPAA. Now, we're going to talk here a little bit about DNR, do not resuscitate order. What is that? A do not resuscitate order, otherwise known as a DNR, allows individuals to document their choices relating to cardiopulmonary resuscitation, otherwise known as CPR. Now, as an individual, you have the right to document that you do not want to receive CPR or other resuscitative efforts. Those things can include, obviously, uh, chest compressions, artificial airways, resuscitative drugs, cardioversion. Uh, any of that kind of stuff can be included in, a C- in CPR treatment. Who can obtain a DNR? Any individual may have a DNR order form completed. You do not have to have a terminal illness, a life-threatening or life-shortening condition. A completion of a DNR order form will allow you to have your choices regarding CPR, Honored across the spectrum of your healthcare providers. Now, a DNR uh, can be authorized, basically completed by a physician, advanced practice, registered nurse, or a physician's assistant with your consent. This is important because, as we talked before, uh, if an EMT shows up, EMTs are are wired and trained and authorized to get somebody to a hospital or healthcare center. They do not have this power. Their job is to keep someone alive. Yeah, get them there safely and quickly. Right. Right. And the issue then that we also talked about was how does a DNR work in relation to a living will? Well, a living will will specify the various types of things even beyond resuscitation that you want or don't want uh, regarding end-of-life situations. Um, But you have to see how those kind of overlap to make sure that they're not in conflict. Uh, According to the Ohio Department of Health, ultimately, whatever document was signed last is the one that is in effect. And of course, doctors uh, very often will um, confer and and get together before any decision is made regarding a resuscitation. Two physicians have to um, collaborate and make a decision. Right. So that's your essential docs here today. We've talked about it before. We touched on it again. That's all the time we have. And uh, we hope you got a lot out of this. Where can people reach us, Gloria? At Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. Write to us with your thoughts and questions. We'll do our best to answer them. We're not attorneys. We just act as catalysts for these conversations. Thanks for being with us. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step and never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. For everyone associated with the show, especially my dear friend and co-host Gloria Shanahan, want to thank you for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. 
Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM, Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station from the Bushers Home Improvement Studios. Improve the value of your home with a sunroom from Bushers.